mercy is more stronger than darkness through every morn our sins they are many his mercy is Since they are many, His mercy is more. Praise the Lord. 
Savior Christ. We ask that by your grace you would open our eyes to the truth in your word being preached. We love you. We trust you. It's in your precious name that together we say amen. Greetings to everybody. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. I'm Pastor Scott and uh, wherever and whenever you're listening, we're just so glad that you're here. Thanks for joining us. You can take out your Bibles. Um, you'll see I don't have one up here with me. And uh, so let me speak to those of you that are marathon page flippers. We're going to be covering from Matthew to Revelation today. So uh, if you can keep up, that's amazing. That's a miracle. But uh, the beauty of technology is that you can stop and start if you need to turn to the page. Uh, but everything is on the sermon notes. So let me just get started. We're continuing in our Unshakable Identity teaching series and how incredibly timely this is with this COVID-19 thing going on. And it wasn't like Pastor Ray sat back in a chair and said, hmm, 
COVID-19 is coming, I think that I'll do an unshakable identity series. No, he planned it long ago, and I think it was just God's sovereignty that allowed us to focus on this particular subject. So over the weeks, we've talked about uh, brand new life, being new creations. We've talked about being free and redeemed by the Son, being beloved by the, beloved by the Father as adopted uh, sons and daughters of God himself being alive and empowered by the Holy Spirit, shining lights as worshipers of God, of the God who saves. And uh, we just need to know that an unshakable identity is more about being what God has made us and called us to be. And we must remember that it's a cooperation of his strength in our obedience. Today we're going to talk about membership, and you won't find the word membership in the Bible like lots of uh, words that we use to describe uh, God and his word, but you will find the word member. But I think if you pay attention, what you'll find is that you cannot deny that God has called us to membership in much better terms like family and body and citizens and ambassadors, a priesthood, and other wonderful things that we're going to talk about today. But as we'll talk about, God needs to touch us for us to be able to even understand or get that. So we need his help. So let's go to him in prayer right now. Um, Lord, I am so very thankful for our church that you uh, have given to us. It's a loving and serving bunch of people that you have gathered here at Desert Breeze and entrusted to our leadership. During this troubled time that feels like a tailspin, Uh, we have seen the gospel come alive. We have seen love increase. Connection has grown stronger in some ways. Generosity has not wavered. For many, faith and hope has grown and become more sure. God, all that is your doing. It is what you are doing in our hearts and in our lives, and we thank you so much. And Lord, as thankful as we are, um, we're troubled also and concerned because Some people have lost their jobs, or at least some necessary income. So God, we pray that you would remind them that you are their ultimate provider and that you provide for them. Some from the pressures of this trial, uh, relationships have been strained. Some marriages have even ended. Addictions have been resurrected. And sometimes greater distance has been put between you and your people and your church. So God, we ask you to restore what seems to have been lost and to heal what seems to have been broken. These things are not of your doing. God, there are those that have been on the fringe of the church and maybe drifting further away. So whoever that may be, God, we just ask you to bring them back to you and bring them back to your people and your word. Oddly, Father, as I thank you for this this church, I, I also thank you for this trial. It's just strange. Because in ways that we don't understand, You seem to be at work doing things like healing the earth itself with cleaner air. People are learning to enjoy and appreciate your beautiful creation and one another in greater ways. Families are finding the preciousness of being together again. False idols are being revealed and pushed aside. The value of friends in a healthy church family is magnified. And so, God, we thank you for these things, and we ask you to satisfy our hunger and thirst for righteousness by loving us right where we are and sanctifying us with your way, your truth, and your life, that is, through Jesus Christ. God, as we read the many scriptures that we're going to read today, we acknowledge them as your word and ask you to illuminate them in our hearts and our minds. 
And as we speak about your plan and purpose for the church today, Lord, please get me out of the way and speak to us through your Holy Spirit and to each one wherever we may sit. Grow us today in our appreciation for the purpose that you call us to as Christ's followers and as his bride. In the precious and all-sufficient name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we thank you for these things and we ask you for more. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me talk about our opening statement here about membership. Over the centuries, church membership has become less about what God intended and more like what quenches our earthly desires in some cases. Culturally, being a member is more relative to a club that serves its customers, offering narrowly defined enjoyments, a singularly identifiable label, and limited benefits that can expire. On the contrary, God has a vision for the church, the church membership. It is about blood-bought kingdom citizenship. It offers a multifarious kingdom inheritance with, internal, with eternal benefits and an imperishable identity, identity that cannot be revoked. While club membership is exercised at the leisure of the consumers, kingdom citizenship comes with participatory responsibilities and submission to the king. And by the way, the king delegates his authority to its members. As kingdom members, we have been given the authority of the king, his identity, his provision, his protection, and purchase purpose. And all those things have been purchased through his own life. So, as we talk about membership, um, we're going to do this in two parts. The two parts are what a church member is and also what the church is. The first part we're going to buzz through, and it's just simple statements about what a church member is, and we're going to buzz through it because the second part is much more lengthy, and it acknowledges what we're going to say about church members. So what is a church member? A church member first is an identifiable citizen who belongs to the most powerful kingdom in heaven and on earth and ought to be intensely conscious of what it means to be a good citizen as they live out their unshakable identity in Christ inside and outside of the church. So you've heard it before, we ought to be living lives that are worth questioning. People ought to be asking us why we have the joy that we have, why we have the endurance and resolve that we have in trials like this. Church members are identifiable citizens of God's kingdom. Next, church members are ambassadors. The word ambassador has to do with being uh, someone in an embassy. And by the way, an ambassador is the highest commissioned person in an embassy who's been given the ruler over the embassy's authority. And so ambassadors, uh, we are to be who are responsibly represent, we responsibly represent God and his church to a fallen world world that is in need of him and his refuge while maintaining a humble confidence in carrying his authority. So I talked about an ambassador being uh, high commission. We have been commissioned by Christ in the Great Commission, shown in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, as it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
This is the Great Commission, and because we know by Scripture that Christ dwells in us as ambassadors, then because he is within us, his authority goes with us as we go and do what he calls us to do. And what is that that we are called to do? We are supposed to go and teach people all that we have observed. So the, the saying that you might have heard before of those who can't do teach does not apply here. We are to be teachers and doers. We are to do and teach. But it's a scary thing, isn't it? If, you're, if you call yourself a Christian and don't walk in a manner worthy of your calling, you soil the credibility of yourself, yourself as a Christian, of God, the God that you talk about and proclaim, and his church. God does call us towards holiness and perfection, but that doesn't mean that we'll be perfect on this side of eternity or even completely holy. What it means is we're supposed to respond to our sinfulness and the sinful world around us in a holy way. And that means to respond with repentance and belief and faith. And so it's through our obedience that we show ourselves to be Christ's followers and holy as he called us to be. Also, a church member is a gospel unifier. We are like-minded and are intentional about building durable church relationships beyond the weekend service. So we are to take the gospel and be unified with others through the gospel in our marriages, in our friendships, in our church, and we're supposed to bring the gospel to the world around us, in our workplace, in our neighborhoods, in our cities. We are gospel unifiers. We are also interdependent participants who in the shared process of growth, <coughs> excuse me, balance uh, balance their vulnerability and their responsibility in ministering to one another. And so what this means is as Christians, we're supposed to be real with one another. We're supposed to be open about our hurts, our habits, and our hangups. And when someone does that and shares those things with us, we're supposed to be responsible in coming alongside that person and helping them, carrying their burden with them and encouraging them. And when we do that together, we help one another grow together. And then it goes on to say, and together we help the church function properly. That word is very important as a ministry wherever and whatever the church needs. Uh, as we do our Facebook, li Facebook Live session this weekend, we're going to encourage you to look up the one another verses in the Bible. One of the one another verses encourages to exhort one another. The word exhort means to kind of nudge one another in this sanctification process. We're supposed to encourage one another. Everybody needs someone to walk alongside of them and encourage them, lift them up, give them hope, remind them of their hope, and uh, tell them that they're not alone. And we're supposed to charge one another. We're supposed to acknowledge each other's responsibilities and charge one another in it that we would live out a life that's worthy of our calling. Next is that we're, as church members, dedicated worshipers whose object of worship is the unchanging, all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-loving maker of the heavens and of the earth. Pastor Josh talked about that last week, specifically John 4.24 says that we are supposed to worship in spirit and in truth. So those are the things that we are to be, and that's just scratching the surface as a church member. So let's get to some of our fill-ins. The first fill-in, number one, Scripture helps us understand our privilege and purpose in God's kingdom citizenship plan and what it means to be in and not of the world. 
You might be familiar with the verse, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, that says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully as I have been fully known. So I need you to allow me some latitude as I make an analogy here about what we're talking about concerning church and church membership. This scripture gives us a perspective that we are already in the presence of God, but not yet fully face-to-face with him on the other side of eternity. And our, our, our vision is dimmed, like it describes, because of our physical presence in a fallen world. It dims our view of God. And I believe this happens twice in the would-be Christian's life. What I mean by that is that there are millions of skeptical unbelievers that walk the planet, yet Jesus has already established his church here. And scripture says that he is present with his people, the church. But think about this, about those millions of skeptical unbelievers. Until someone crosses the threshold of the church and begins to experience God's presence through his word, his spirit, and his people, they have a dim view and will not understand the privilege and necessary purpose for the church and for God in their lives. So through this analogy, I want us to think about it. For the church, as it talks about being a dim mirror, we need to ask ourselves, what kind of reflection are we providing for the lost world regarding God and the church and Christians? It's a very sobering question. Because when Jesus, God in the flesh, talks about Christians, if you are a believer, he is talking about you. He's talking about us. And as we continue through our study, I want us to remember that the church is both we and me. It's both the individual and the, the, the community of individuals that makes up the body. We are responsible for ourselves and we are accountable for one another. So don't forget as we think about we and me. In John 17, verses 6 through 19, Jesus is talking and he's talking about us. Verse 6, it says, I manifested your name to the people who you gave me out of the world. Who is that? Those are Christians. That's his church. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. There's our obedience. Now they know that everything that you gave me is from you, for I have given them the words that you have given me, you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth, that I came from you, and they have believed that you have sent me. So you might say that our eyes have been opened to the privilege and purpose of God and his word and his church. And God doesn't do that just for everybody. He does that only for those he has chosen, those he has called. And what a privilege that is for you and me. Verse 9 says, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those You have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. We represent God as the church. Verse 11, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them. Keep them in your name, which you have given me. God has given us his name. That they may be one, even as we are one. Isn't that incredible? that God has called us one with his son, one with his church, as God, as Jesus has one with his father. What an incredible privilege. What an incredible purpose. 
Verse 12 goes on to say, While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given them. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. He's talking about Judas Iscariot. Going on in verse 13, But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Do you understand that one of our purposes is that Christ's joy might be fulfilled in us and through us? Verse 14, I give them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So we also need to be sober-minded as Christians and understand there are consequences to our privilege and purpose. Going on in verse 15, it says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. There's more privilege and purpose. There are benefits to our privilege and purpose. And what we see here is that God is going to keep us from the evil one. And he's going to sanctify us. He's going to grow us up. It goes on in verse 18, it says, As you sent me into the world, so I send them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself. This means for our sake, Christ has set himself apart, apart from his holiness. And also it goes on to say that they also might be sanctified in truth. So he set himself apart that we would be set apart in sanctification and in truth and be redeemed through Christ. So do you see the incredible privilege and purpose that we have as Christians and as a church? Our privilege and purpose are not exclusive to John 17 because it's throughout Scripture. Again, it's incredible. Fill in number two, Scripture's metaphors for the church help us to appreciate and integrate as citizens of God's kingdom. If you know me, you know I love words and I love studying words and I want to focus on these two words, appreciation and integrate. Appreciation is what we feel when we learn the value of something, especially something that we need. When we appreciate something, we've, we've sensed the value and we get this, this sense of needing it. And so that brings us to this appreciation, this higher view of thinking of whatever it is that we appreciate. The word integrate means to make something whole and bring together parts. And this was really super exciting for me. Uh, It is actually a combination of two words, which gives us this idea of going from being untouched to touched. So let's think about that as sinners needs needing to be saved by grace. As a sinner, I am broken and I need fixing. And God must touch my my sin in places and in ways that has never been touched before. And this supernatural touching regenerates my heart and illuminates my mind to the things of God. It brings me to value, to appreciate my need for him, and moves me to integrate so that he can make me whole as an individual in Christ, but also then as a member and citizen of his kingdom. And as a part of the body of Christ, he touches us and makes us whole as a church. 
So these first fill-ins, these words of privilege and purpose and appreciation and integrate, please don't forget those because I'm going to use those over and over and over again as I help us try to nail down what we're talking about here today. So let's move on to what the church is. So what is the church? If you look closely, membership is covered cover to cover in the Bible. There are many metaphors that we're not going to be able to talk about today because we only have a little bit of time. But I challenge you to look through the Bible as you look through it and try and identify what a member is and identify what he means by the church. And I pray this teaching gives you an example of how to follow along and to do that. What you're going to find is that they are one and the same. Again, we are we and me. But we have to understand that we are manifold in nature and in function, both as individuals and in the church. So let's begin with, ver- with uh, fill-in number three. The church is God's kingdom embassy. This reality ought to bring us comfort in knowing that God has established a real place for us to go in this fallen world where we are identified as his people and can claim refuge under the authority, protection, and benefits that God has given his citizens. I want to look at a, 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 ver- a couple of verses that where Jesus is talking about the qualifications of discipleship. It's found in the book of Luke, chapter 14, particularly verses 32 and 33. And the context is, is that there's this lesser king that is fearful and needs, to, needs the terms of peace with the greater king who is far off from him. And in this passage, Jesus is comparing being uh, one of his disciples to this word used for delegation. In verse 32 of 14 in Luke, it says, And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. And here's the comparison that Jesus gives. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has has cannot be my disciple. So he's kind of drawing the line in the sand. Here this delegation is sent to a greater power for his terms of peace. We, are, we think we're kings, don't we? We need a greater power, and we need that greater power of terms of peace. And, and we do not seek God. None of us do. The Bible says that. So what does God do? He sends his son to us with his terms of peace. He is the greater power, and we need it. Now, this word delegation is also translated embassage, which is where we get two words, ambassador and the word embassy. And before Jesus left to prepare a place for us in our true home, which is in heaven, Jesus, who was sent by God with God's terms of peace, established his embassy here on earth, the church. And he charged us to continue to do what an embassy does with the authority of God and under the terms of peace of God. And we, as Christians who have accepted those terms of peace, must renounce our earthly terms of peace and all we find our earthly peace through and submit to his terms, the greater king. And when we do that, you and I today as individuals and as the church, we will find a peace and a purpose that we cannot even come up with ourselves, let alone earn the favor to do. It is about the full life that Christ promises us through him because he has overcome the world. 
And we have to understand why this, these words ambassador and uh, embassy are relevant to us because many times in Scripture, we Christians are called strangers and aliens and sojourners scattered among the nations. This is not our home, and we need an embassy in this foreign fallen nation, and the embassy needs ambassadors. That's the church. Now, the Desert Breeze mission statement begins with Desert Breeze exists to provide a safe place. That's one of the purposes of an embassy, and its ambassadors are charged with managing that safe place for all that seek refuge there. It exists to provide a safe place for people when they are sojourning in a hostile land. And what a great job that this church does. I see so many of you creating a safe place for people that just need a refuge, that need truth, that need Christ, and you're living it out and you're being great ambassadors. And so we, we thank you so much for that. And, and we're finding even in this, this season that we're in that you're doing at that without the four walls of the church. And that means quite a bit and is much more biblical than uh, being at church. So an embassy does something else. What it does is it verifies the identity of its citizens. If you or I were traveling and lost our passport or find ourselves to be in trouble in some foreign nation, the best place for us to go would be the U.S. Embassy. What would happen there is that they would first verify our our U.S. citizenship and then with the power given to them, provide us with the protection and the privileges as a U.S. citizen. So the embassy does not make you a citizen, just like going to church doesn't make you a Christian. But once you verify that you are a citizen, what is inherent, inherent to your citizenship is available to you. Does that make sense? That's one thing the church does. Collectively, as uh, the ambassadors, we must identify ourselves as citizens and as an embassy together representing Christ's kingdom. We perpetually verify our we and me citizenship and provide the protection and benefits that we have been given authority to give our citizenship to not only inside, but also outside the church as well. Why do we do that? To keep from the church becoming what God has not called it to be, to keep it from becoming more of a club than God's kingdom. Practically, we exhort one another uh, in the growing notes, and uh, as we'll talk about in our Facebook Live on Sunday evening at 6, we're going to talk about the one another verses. One of them is 1 Thessalonians 2 through 12. And it says we're supposed to exhort one another. We we press each other on. I already talked about this a little bit. But this verse says we exhort each one of you and encourage you and charge you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. That is a call to citizenship in Christ. And at Desert Breeze, we identify a genuine Christian as someone who has made a genuine confession of faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's how a, one, one way a Christian is identified. And that involves rep- acknowledging and repenting of your sin and believing what Christ has done for you that you can't do for yourself to remedy the problem that you have with sin and to pay your debt and also confessing him as not only Savior but Lord and and Savior. We also identify a genuine Christian as someone who has been baptized 
And this is a public declaration and demonstration of your profession of that repentance and belief and confession. A citizen is also identified by those who make a commitment to the church. And what that means is regular attendance and participation. It's not just showing up when you have nothing better to do. It's not just on holidays. It's not participating because you think that you're equipped or that you get more out of it than you put into it. Uh, It's about responsibility. Those things are about being more of a club. Uh, We are called to participate But please understand, I'm not trying to do any pruning here. I'm not trying to thin the herd. I'm trying to point out that when we call ourselves Christians, when we uh, we make a commitment to the church, we have to take what the Bible says seriously and and, and heartfelt. Here's another example of why that's important. True Christians and true members of the church are also identified as those who share in the sacrament of communion. And it's a big deal. And we take communion for the right reasons and we don't take communion for the right reasons. Communion participation genuinely means something and genuinely identifies you as a Christian in proclaiming the Lord's death the remembrance of his sacrifice for you, and taking in the blood of the new covenant. To not accept Jesus and what he has done and for you to take communion is unholy. And it's a sin because you're claiming the benefits of citizenship without regard for God's sacrifice and authority. It is way more than juice and crackers. So do we, do we welcome those who don't know Christ? Absolutely, we are called to do that. But what we do is invite invite them to church. We invite them to Christ and love them to the cross where we found God's terms of peace that saved wretches like us. Our citizenship is also marked by our love for one another. John 13, 34 and 35 says, A new commandment I give to you. This is a kingdom command for citizens that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people, even those who are not citizens of God's kingdom, will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So thinking about the church as God's kingdom embassy, do you understand our privilege and our purpose? Do you appreciate the value of church being integrated into your life and you integrating into it? Matthew 25 says this, Then the king will say to those on his right, on the right hand of God, that's a a place of privilege and authority and honor. He says, he will say to them, Come, you who are blessed by the Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Wow. That is phenomenal. So remember what integrate means? To be touched and made whole. God has to touch us in a way so that we get these truths. And I'm going to say that you can't be in the church without touching it back. Here's what I mean. Don't mistake it for what I don't mean. I'm not talking about works righteousness. And I'm also not talking about that the church can't be whole without me. They've got to have me if they're going to be whole. No, that's arrogance. 
God is going to call people to equip the church. He's going to choose them, and God will equip his church just fine without me. However, it is Christ through all of its chosen members that makes the church whole. Think body of Christ. That's the next thing that the church is. Number four, the body of Christ, but a work in process. This reality should increase our interdependence, our interdependence of one another and help us be mindful that God has given us the necessary diversity that we need to develop holy unity and maturity in Christ so that we can function as the body he has called us to be. We're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 4 here. In verses 1 through 5, from prison, Paul is encouraging the church in Ephesus to stay on tasks and reminds them of their unified agenda first. Why is it important for us to be reminded of our unified agenda first? It is because that power and title and privilege in the hand of sinners without Christ will cause them to, to, build, um, to be deceitful, to uh, build personal self-serving agendas, to be other than what Christ has called them to be. And that's destructive to the church. So Paul says, I therefore, prisoner from the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity and spirit in the bond of peace. So those are marks of a citizen, marks of an ambassador of Christ. Here's that unified agenda. There is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all, by, but grace which, has, which was given to each one of you, us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Let me start that over again. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. So this means... He didn't make us all the same, and he didn't gift us all the same, but he puts us together in the church. If you jump down to verse 11, he says, uh, and we see this, uh, what we're going to see is we're going to see this diversity that is to be fleshed out through this interdependence that I talk about and what Paul just said about uh, this this uh, unifying agenda, one body, one spirit, and so on. So it says, beginning in verse 11, and he gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Why did he give them? Verse 11, or excuse me, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. To what end? Verse 13, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Why is that important? Verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitfulness. That's those competing agendas that I was talk about, talking about. That's about becoming what Christ did not intend the church to be. We are in danger when we try to do Christianity and church in a way God did not intend it to be. So we need to have this unified agenda, and we need to have the identity as citizens and live that out. 
So how do we avoid being tossed to and fro and all these other things? And what's the point? Well, verse 15 says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way. So we're supposed to be real with one another. We're supposed to be open about our hurts, habits, and hang-ups. We're supposed to be open and take care of our offenses one another with one another in a godly and holy way. In every way, into him who is the head, into Christ. Now this is super important. From whom the whole body join and held together by every joint which, with, with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Do you see this unity? Do you see this need to grow up? The previous point that I made that you can't be in the church without touching it back, but also we are equipped, but in different ways. When we use our gifts properly, not to serve ourselves, but to equip one another, It is that diverse equipping that actually helps us grow stronger and closer as a body, building itself up in love. That is the church. It's the same thing in a family. We see that the children can't be the parents. And those of you that are parents know how that works out sometimes. Just have a three-year-old make pancakes in the morning. It doesn't work out well. It's a mess. And it's the same way that a mom can't and is not supposed to fulfill the role of the dad. Now, I say that, but it happens all the time. Why does it happen that way all the time? It's because of deceitfulness. It's about because of our fallenness. And you can see what the world has done with what God has established about what a marriage is supposed to be, what the church is supposed to be. So next, number five, the, fam- uh, the church is the family of God. And this reality should increase our love and fellowship with one another in Christ and help us to recognize our place in the family as children growing in the knowledge of God. Now, let me just say that all families and all churches have a measure of dysfunction, mostly um, more than we're willing to admit. And if you don't believe it, just hang out with us for a while here at Desert Breeze. And if you don't see it here, you can just go to people's houses that, that go, call this their church home, and you'll find out rather quickly. You can, you can start with my home. Churches are not perfect, just like families are not perfect. But in God's plan, they are necessary nonetheless. A few weeks ago, Ray talked about being sons and daughters of God from Romans 8. And then in the Romans 8 context of family... <clears throat> we should remember that we are to be loved, protected, and nurtured as family members. Now, I've learned to really try and pay attention to scriptural subtleties, and I see one here. Do you ever wonder why we are called sons and daughters? The most glaring thing to me, it's because we are not the Father. We are not God. We are not called to be Jesus for people. We are not called to be God to people. We are called to be like Jesus and like God. And I thank God that I am not Jesus and have the pressure that he has because I know me and I know you. It takes God to save us. It is not God who needs the church or the family. It is the church and the family that needs God. In Matthew five forty-eight, Jesus calls us to be like our father in heaven As sons and daughters, to be like our father means God calls us to do what? 
to grow up a little bit, right? And in the context of family, that requires that we be given some grace, just like we give our kids grace, and some patience and some mercy, but also some instruction. God does that for us, and we ought to do that for one another. Now, in another sense, God has called and appointed pastors and elders to take a fatherly role, pastors and elders and leaders. And we are held to a higher standard, but that also does not mean that we are God because we are also sons and daughters of God and we are called to do our own growing up if we are going to play that fatherly role of higher accountability that he calls us to. In a family and in a church, fathers are not the only ones involved in growing little ones up, are they? There's the mother. The mother shares the father's responsibility in a way that the children do not share that authority. And there's also those children who are older and hopefully a little bit more mature who have started earning some more responsibility and authority. So in all this, under the father's ultimate care and authority, we grow up individually and avoid danger as individuals and as the church and as a family a church family, as we continue to grow and provide this environment of love and patience and kindness and all those things that are fruits of the Holy Spirit. When every part is working properly, our Desert Priest family represents the Father by his authority, under his protection, and with his provision. And that's an environment that we can all grow and thrive in. And I, I got to say that I see it all the time, and I thank God for that, and I thank those of you that live that out. In a, lot of the, in a lot of ways, we make known our family resemblance by the way we live, right? Have you ever been, been told, you're just like your father, or you're just like your mother, or, you know, I don't want to hang out with that family, you know? Well, it's, it's throughout Scripture. Do you recall in the Old Testament that God called the nation of Israel his people? In fact, he called them his chosen people. What a privilege that is. What an intimidation that is. But for God, uh, his purpose for choosing them was that they were to be his people, literally, and their purpose was to show the other nations what God was like, how powerful he was, how good he was. And they were to do that by the way that they lived, by the way that they loved one another, and by the way that they were obedient and reverent to God. But they, they... um, they didn't do such a good job, did they? On an uh, occasion where they were rescued by God from slavery after 400 years and given his presence through the wilderness on a trip that should have taken two weeks but took 40 years because of their sniveling and complaining and idolatry and drunkenness and whoring around, and I say whoring around literally and spiritually, the older generation of this chosen people, they got fired. God said, I am done with you. You're not going to make it into the promised land. You're refusing to work properly to not only be obedient to me, but to represent me in your community and as representatives. And so you're fired. But then came the new covenant through Christ. Thank you, Lord. And in God's long-suffering and mercy and grace, Rather than destroy the, the disobedient, he sends Christ to give us a renewed and stronger and unshakable identity. How did he do that? Through the gospel. And remember that we are gospel unifiers. We have to remember from which we came. Why did he do that? Well, he, 
describes it beautifully in Romans chapter 9, verses 23 through 26. He says, In order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us who he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. And indeed, he says in Hosea, Those who are not my people, I will call my people. And her who is not beloved, I will call beloved. And in every place where it is, it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. Wow. That's incredible. Being a part of God's family is the result of the greatest blessing given to us as believers and the one that should drive us to our knees in humble adoration. We can never do anything to deserve it. It is a gift that he has given us through his love and his mercy and his grace. And despite our fallen efforts and our falling efforts, because of Christ, we are called sons and daughters of the living God. And I pray that everyone listening will or has responded in faith and latched onto identity because it's an invitation from a loving God who loves you and wants you. Besides the father, the next necessary member of the family is the bride. That is the church. That's our next fill-in. The church is the bride of Christ. This reality should drive us towards a greater desire for purity and holiness as the bride, as the bride, and greater love and submission to Christ as his bride. 2 Corinthians 11 2 through 5 says, For I feel a divine jealousy for you. This is Paul speaking. Since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaim, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. This passage is part of Paul's warning to the church in Corinth. He is warning the, the bride, this one that's betrothed to one husband, that one husband is Jesus. He's warning them about, about being deceived, about wrong thinking, about Reminding them that they have an enemy and being led astray and this pure devotion is necessary and following another Jesus, being led by another spirit and a different gospel. And Paul is calling them out, not only individuals, but, but putting up with it in, his ch- in their church. We as a church cannot lose our focus on our collective and individual jobs per- to protect the purity of the church and pay attention to what is gone, going on not only inside of us, but around us. Again, we and me. When Jesus talks about the church, his bride, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 27, his desire is for the purity of the bride. Why? Verse 27, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. He desires purity for us. Revelation 19.7 tells us what our job is. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. 
So the word to exult means to show excitement and triumph. That's what we do when we high-five each other, when we cheer for our Super Bowl team, when we, when we get a strike or we get a hole-in-one. That's what we do. We exult in triumph. So what's the triumph here? It's for the marriage of the Lamb has come. We are brides of Christ. That is a triumph, especially when you know how wretched we are. And his bride has made herself ready. So how are we doing? How are you doing? Are we individually and collectively rejoicing, showing excitement and triumph, giving God glory? As Christ's bride, has what you have believed and practiced as a Christian made you ready for whatever the day brings? During this time of testing, have you been continuing to make yourself ready? Are you showing yourself to be faithful and a pure bride? Are you spending time with Christ exulting in triumph in his promises, his power, his plan, and his presence? Or are the news feeds and conspiracy theories leading you away from your pure devotion to Christ? Are you being gospel unifiers or are you jumping on the judgment bus of ignorance, which is a different gospel? Are we looking to Jesus or a different Jesus like our government or organizations or pundits on the news? Are we living life on Facebook or are we getting on our face in prayer and looking into and devouring God's book? How faithful are we being as brides? Being the bride of Christ should drive us towards a greater desire for purity and holiness and greater love and submission to Christ as his bride. Do we fail? Yes. We fail miserably sometimes, but our Redeemer lives, and the church is about reconciliation. That's number seven. We're about reconciliation. This reality should help us be increasingly mindful that God unites sinners saved by grace and does in them what they cannot do for themselves. And in this unity, God is dwelling with us and is building us up into his household. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 through 19, during Paul's ministry, there was a lot of obvious jealousy and prejudice and hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles. And in this passage, Paul makes it clear that once we were all not one with Christ, the Gentiles were just as far off from God as his chosen people who had drifted far away from him. Let me get a drink. So it says, but now in Christ Jesus who once... uh, But now in Christ Jesus, who you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God and one through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near Super important, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, 
but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Phenomenal, incredible privilege and purpose. Wow. So I believe that this talks about our universal need for reconciliation to God, and the result is a unified church of cringing beggars in constant need of a Savior. We can't, as a church or small groups, become holy huddles with no access because God's message, God's Son, and God's church are about university reconciling us to him and, and, uh, and the world to him. That's our job. And if we forget how magnificent that is, Psalm 103, 13, 11 through 13, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As the Father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. That should stir us. And it breaks my heart to look at America's church today and wonder how many people in them truly, truly fear God. How many people are missing out on the privilege and the purpose and the unshakable identity that God has established for his church and in Christ followers by turning in the, in, into something that God did not intend it to be, like a club Last, we have a high calling. The church is the royal priesthood. This reality should sober our thinking and the responsibility God has entrusted to us in representing him and stirring our awareness of the delight God has in the sacrifices, praise, and good deeds that we, that we offer to him through glorifying him and in service to one another. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 9-10 through 10 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Again, incredible purpose and privilege. But it's important, again, scriptural subtleties. Scripture ought not to ever, ever puff us up. Royal priesthood. Ooh, I'm part of the royal priesthood. No, it's not supposed to do it to that because the subtlety here is there's a qualifier in these verses. Here I see the qualification for the royal priesthood that we receive mercy. And mercy is for those that need it. And you better believe we need it today and tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day. So to wrap this up, the subject of what the church is and what it means to be a member of the church are really one and the same. And frankly, this subject really deserves an entire series. We read a good deal about synagogues. We do read a good deal about synagogues and temples and altars in Scripture, but I would venture to say that being the church And all that entails is what it's really all about. And it's really what we talk about every single week here at Desert Breeze Community Church. And we need God to touch us and make us whole in a particular way and to continue to touch us for us to continue to get it. 
So let's close in prayer. God, we are so thankful for Christ bringing us your terms of peace because we do not seek you. We thank you that you pursued us and God, that you have humbled us that we might repent and confess you as Lord and Savior and be given this unshakable identity that means so many different things and that you would ga- have gathered us together with like people uh, like those here at Desert Breeze and as your church and that God, you uh, continue to give us mercy. And uh, so God, I pray that you'd continue to remind us that your mercies are new every morning because we need them. Help us to remember our identity in Christ, to appreciate, to value our citizenship in your kingdom, and to live life to the fullest as ambassadors of Christ, sharing the gospel to the world around us and bringing more and more to your people, doing your work. It's in Jesus' name that we thank you and we ask you these things. Amen. Thank you so much, Desert Breeze, and and those of you that are guests watching us. Don't forget to join us on Sunday night at 6 o'clock. Go to the Desert Breeze Facebook group page, and there we will be doing a Facebook Live event called DB Cafe, and we will be going through the growing notes. And don't forget to look up the verses about the one another's before we start. See you then. God bless you.